Read with me this morning in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until it is all accomplished. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what's it, what's it look like to be a Christian? Is there a, is there a look to it? What, is, what does my life look like? If I'm a Christian, it's kind of a loaded question. It is the answer, even correct answers, can be very easily misunderstood. Clarence Darrow was a, was a very controversial lawyer at the um, end of the 19th and the early 20th centuries. Uh, Clarence Darrow once, was once quoted as saying this, I have suffered for being misunderstood but I would have suffered a heck of a lot more if I had been understood. And I think, even though he was no Christian, certainly no spokesman for Jesus, I think Jesus, at certain points of his life, could have said those words and it would have made a lot of sense. Because Jesus often was misunderstood. But then there were those times when people actually understood what he was saying. And they got even angrier when they understood him correctly than they had been before they understood him correctly. Jesus was, he knew he was likely to be misunderstood. He liked to teach challenging things. He likes to say that thing that makes people go, wait a minute, how can that possibly be true? And Jesus also taught differently than anyone who had taught before him or since, really. In, in first century Jewish culture, most rabbis taught sort of more or less like, like I try to. I mean, there were obviously some differences in content. But what they would do is they had a concept they wanted to teach or a part of the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament they wanted to teach. What they would do is they would explain, try to explain to people what that passage of Scripture meant for their lives today. And the authority they stood on was the Old Testament, their traditions, and the teachings of teachers who came before them. Jesus was very different. Jesus taught stuff. He made truth claims, but not on the basis of even anything the Bible said or anything that a previous teacher said, or anything some tradition said. He just said, because I say it. So after this week, for six weeks, we're going to look through these little sayings of Jesus, these little teachings of Jesus, where he's going to say this, you've heard it said this. And it's going to be something, most of them, from the Old Testament. And then Jesus is going to say, but I'll tell you, I tell you this, something different. So Jesus will be saying, I want you to believe me, not even because the Old Testament says so. I want you to believe me just because I 
say so. And in doing that, he like puts himself over the scriptures, which he is. And people will get all kinds of bent out of shape when they understand. That's what he's saying. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're studying, uh, this is Matthew 7, 28 and 29. It says, it says, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed by his teaching because he taught them like one who had authority himself. Not like their experts in the law, their scribes. Jesus was misunderstood, and people hated him. He was understood, and people hated him. So far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has described the kind of person he says is going to be blessed by God for all of eternity. Then last week, he talked about how one of his followers can have an impact on the world around them, be salt and light. And he has yet to even mention being obedient to the law. Do you know how scandalous that would have been in his day? For a teacher to stand up and say, I want to start telling you who can be blessed of God and who can impact the world for God. And that comes apart from the law. And Jesus knew he would be misunderstood in that. And so today... He says, I want to I sort of cut off one of your objections before you can give it. I know there are going to be people out there who think I came to do away with the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, not by a long shot. But Jesus doesn't leave the Old Testament the way it applies to people. He doesn't leave it unchanged. And Jesus is going to make clear today, the kind of righteousness I expect from people who would follow me is actually an increased, amplified, amped up kind of righteousness like nothing anybody has ever seen. That's today's sermon. That's today's passage. Jesus is going to teach, I didn't come to do away with the Old Testament Obedience still matters. But the kind of obedience I desire from you, if you want to follow me, is unlike anything you've probably considered yet. That's where we're headed today. Let's get started at the beginning of this little passage, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus affirms the importance of the entire Old Testament. When Jesus says the law and the prophets... That's his shorthand way of saying the whole Bible in their day. The Hebrew Bible in Jesus' day was only what we call the Old Testament. And so Jesus says, I don't want you to think I came to abolish any of that. I didn't. He says, I came to fulfill it. People will throughout his ministry think Jesus hates the law, hates Moses, why he kind of gets himself in, gets in trouble. He hated people's traditions that they put as important as the law. But he doesn't hate the law at all. He loves it. And Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish the Old Testament, but fulfill it. Which brings up this very logical question. In what way did Jesus fulfill the Old Testament? He said, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Well, how, how did he do that? 
the simple answer, and some people teach what he means, is number one here, that Jesus, because he's the only person who ever lived the Old Testament law perfectly, in that way he fulfilled it. And he did fulfill the, his, the requirements the law placed on him. He fulfilled them perfectly, but I don't think that's what Jesus is really getting at here when he says he came to fulfill the law. More than that, Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets in that the entire Old Testament, all of the scriptures in his day, were pointing toward him. Jesus had been the main character in the Old Testament, even though he has, had yet to, been, to be born as a human. I want to describe for you what I mean when I say the whole Old Testament pointed toward Jesus and in that way he fulfilled the Old Testament. Matthew started his book by telling us about some predictions of the Messiah that are fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus was born into the right family, the line of David. He was born in Bethlehem, which was the right place. He was born of a virgin, which Isaiah said would happen. He was preceded by a prophet, John the Baptist, who acted as a herald or the announcer for the Messiah. Those things, Jesus fulfilled lots of Old Testament predictions, all of them. More than that, though, there were parts of the Old Testament that in Jesus' life, he fulfilled every goal God had for that section of Scripture, so much so that the way it applies to us is way different than the way it applied to his original audience. You ever wonder why, if you read through the Old Testament and you find something, you go, how come we don't have to do that anymore? How come we don't, are we supposed to still do that? To understand the Old Testament correctly, you have to understand how Jesus fulfilled that portion of Scripture. Let me give you some examples. In Jesus' day, there was still a temple. And if you were going to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel, you had to go to that temple in Jerusalem. You had to take animal sacrifices. There, had needed, there needed to be a priest who stood between you and God. Um, there were ceremonial cleansings and washings. All those things pointed to Jesus. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Um, even the curses in the Old Testament were, were fulfilled in Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. In Deuteronomy 27, so this is the, the law. At the end of the law, we read this. Cursed is anyone who does not continually uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. So answer this question. According to the Old Testament, if you don't do everything in the law, you are what? Cursed. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 3, which is in the New Testament, Christ redeemed us, paid for us, set us free from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. So even the curses in the law were so completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ that they no longer apply to us the way they applied to Old Testament Israel. Is that awesome? That is awesome. Jesus knew the Old Testament pointed toward him. 
I pulled out a couple of passages to demonstrate this. John chapter 5. Jesus is talking to some of his enemies. Read this with me on the screen. He says, you guys, you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you'll, you'll find eternal life. But it's, in these, but it's in these same scriptures that testify about me and you're not willing to come to me so that you can have the life you're looking for in the scriptures. And later he says, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? Because Moses, who wrote the law, Moses was writing about me. Later, after he died and rose again on the road to Emmaus in the book of Luke, the risen Jesus said this, Luke 24, beginning in verse 25. So he said to them, you foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them the things that were written about himself in all the scriptures. And then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus did not come to abolish the Old Testament. He came to fulfill the Old Testament. In fact, if Jesus' point when he showed up and said, I don't want you to pay attention to the Old Testament anymore, that would have been self-defeating. Because the Old Testament is the only way we know that Jesus is the Old Testament Messiah. But there are certain things in the Old Testament that no longer apply to us the way they applied to ancient Israel because they found every goal God had for some of those things was completely fulfilled in Christ. Every part of it is still important. but some of it has been fully accomplished. In verse 18, the last thing on the screen up there, Jesus said, the smallest letter or the smallest stroke of a pen, it would be for us in English, you would say, like not the dot of an I or the cross of a T. None of that will pass from the law until, this translation says, all is accomplished. Uh, your Bible might say, till everything takes place. And there are some things in the Old Testament that have been so completely accomplished. They're important for us because they point toward Jesus, but they do not apply to us anymore the way they did. You don't need a priest to stand between you and God because Jesus, the book of Hebrews says, is your high priest who always stands before the Father pleading your case. You don't need to take animal sacrifices anymore because Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all for sin. Um, Sabbath law is the only old, one of the Ten Commandments that's not recommanded in the New Testament. Uh, the food laws. Praise God, you can eat catfish if you want to. Hallelujah. In the Old Testament, you couldn't. Paul said, now, should you care about what you eat? Should you pay attention about what you eat? Yeah, probably. You don't, we don't have a legal Sabbath 
where God says, if you work on Saturday, I'm going to be very angry. We don't have that anymore. Now, is the concept of rest important? The Sabbath was made to teach Israel this. They lived a very hand-to-mouth, day-by-day subsistence life when they were given this command that every Saturday you do no work, none, bupkis, zero. You know how much faith it took to think, you know what? God will take care of me. So I, one-seventh of the time, I'm not going to work. Now, we don't have that law. But here's a concept that's healthy to carry around. My sustenance in life is not dependent upon my ability to work 75, 85 hours a week, week after week after week. Because if I don't, I won't get ahead. If I don't, I'll fall behind. If I don't, God says, whoa, 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 whoa. Where do you get your sustenance? Still a good concept, but it applies differently. And I could go on and on and on about things in the, in the Old Testament that don't apply to us. Oh, I mentioned food laws. In the book of Mark, Jesus declared all foods to be clean. He did the same thing again in the book of Acts. Paul said in Colossians, don't let anybody be your judge about what you eat or the Sabbath. So, Some things in the Old Testament have been so completely fulfilled that they apply to us differently. And even the curses in the Old Testament, where the Old Testament says, if you don't do all this, you're cursed. And Jesus said, I became your curse. That's lifted. However, because... Jesus knew he could be very easily misunderstood. He wanted to make sure that we knew that obedience to God's behavioral commands still matters. Obedience still matters. He says this in verse 19. So, anyone who, this, this translation says breaks, um, your, your Bible might say annuls. What it means is to set a commandment aside as if it doesn't matter. So that thing where you go, oh, that's too old-fashioned. That doesn't matter anymore. God surely can't mean that. When we do that to commands and we teach others to do that with those commands, that person will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever obeys them and teaches others to obey them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So obedience still matters. Your obedience, my obedience will matter eternally. Now praise God, our obedience doesn't determine whether we get in the kingdom or not. Great thing about verse 9, it talks about two different kind of people. Both of them are in the kingdom. Both of them are in God's eternal kingdom, which tells me they have believed in Jesus Christ for their salvation. But their obedience still matters. Jesus did not die to save you from your sins so that he could say, now nothing matters. Now you can pursue whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. I have become your curse. So I no longer care about your obedience. He didn't 
He didn't want to be misunderstood as saying that. So he teaches this. If we had no other verses in the scriptures, which we do, to teach us in the New Testament under grace that obedience still matters, this would be enough. And it'll matter eternally. If we had no other verse in scripture, we do, but if this was the only one we had that would teach someday for all of eternity how obedient I was on earth will matter for all of eternity in some way, we do have other passages that teach that, but this would be enough. Somehow, everyone who gets to go to heaven because they believed in Jesus for salvation, some will be greater and some will be leaster in the kingdom. They'll all be there, which is way better than not being there. And I don't even know for sure what that looks like. Jesus said he went to build a house for us. Uh, the moral, uh, Some people, the great people have a bigger house and the not so great people have a smaller house. I don't know. I don't know what it looks like, but here's what I know. I know what determines our greatness and our leastness. It's our obedience while we live this life. It's our obedience. Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Sometime look that up. He says all believers are going to stand in front of the judgment seat of Christ and how we live, what we do, our works, our behavior are going to be judged by Jesus. And the stuff we do for him is going to last for all of eternity. And the stuff we did for just kind of regular selfish reasons just be burned up and it won't matter. And they'll be greater and they'll be leaster people in the kingdom. Obedience matters. Our disobedience will be shown to have been an eternally terrible idea. I have, I absolutely know When I stand before the Lord and He judges my life, I'm going to go, ooh, I knew that was a bad idea. About a million different things. So, what are the commandments you cast aside as if, oh, God can't mean that for me now? What are the things you struggle with over and over and over again? Stuff matters. Not just the negative ones, the don't do's though. Think about this. How good are you at loving your neighbor? How good are you at taking care of the poor? That stuff's going to matter, which means it already matters. It doesn't determine where we will spend eternity. Please hear that. Only faith in Christ will get us in, but obedience matters. And now that he has said that, Jesus is going to use this verse Matthew 5, verse 20, to introduce what he's going to talk about for the, what we're going to talk about for the next six weeks. A a different kind of obedience 
from Old Testament obedience that Jesus commands, demands, expects, and desires from those of us who would follow him. Here's what he says. For I tell you, unless your righteousness goes beyond that of the experts in the law or the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, on its face, by itself, that is a terrifying verse of Scripture. Sometimes I wish, as I study passages for, for these sermons, I wish I could just like jump into the story and look at people's faces. Maybe, this, I mean, maybe I'm the only one who does this. But I, there had to be some terrified folks hearing Jesus say, unless you have a, a, a higher brand of righteousness than the scribes and Pharisees, you're not getting in. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were seen as the most righteous people in Israel. They went to meticulous lengths to supposedly, anyway, obey the law. They were seen as the varsity. And Jesus said, if you have a better righteousness than them, you're not even getting in. It left his audience stunned and scared. Now, a couple things need to be said about this verse. First, as I said a minute ago, there is no level of obedience you can achieve, I can achieve, that will ever get us into heaven. So, Jesus loved to say things that could be taken two different ways. Do you know that about Jesus? And sometimes both of them are right. And this is one of those cases. Because on one hand, what Jesus is saying is, the scribes and Pharisees are trying to obey their way into heaven. And unless you get a righteousness that's better than even theirs, you're not getting in. Why? Because the only righteousness that would make anybody good enough to get into heaven would look like Jesus' righteousness. It would be perfection. You know there are some people on earth who sin less than other people. You know that, right? It has to be. Please stop looking around trying to figure out who sins more or less than you or the people that you rode here with this morning, keeping score. But listen, there there are people who will go to hell forever who probably have done less bad things than a lot of the people who will be in heaven forever. Because the only reason anybody will get in is that they place their faith in what Jesus did at the cross. God takes Jesus' perfection and puts it on their account as if they had lived it. It's the only way anybody's getting in. So in one sense, what Jesus is saying here is, if you don't get my righteousness put on your account, which is way greater than the scribes and Pharisees, you're not getting in. But there's another sense to what Jesus is saying. And that's this. If you're going to follow me, I want you to know there's a kind of righteousness that I expect to show up in your life that's going to be a a higher version, a better version of righteousness than even those scribes and Pharisees who tithe their spices who fast twice a week, who never miss the temple. And we're going to spend six weeks talking about what that is, what those different examples of what those are. But Jesus always hammers away at the scribes and Pharisees because they live like this. 
God gave me a checklist of stuff, of do's and don'ts. And I just got to be as good as I can at the do's and don'ts. And they create this checklist, this begrudging morality checklist that I've got to do these things or God's going to be mad. Or I've got to stop doing these things or God's going to fry me. And, and, And they make these lists of things they can do. And they pretend that God doesn't care what's in their heart or what's in their mind. So start next week when Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, like they don't murder anybody. They think that means they're okay. But Jesus says, you know, I care about that anger you're carrying around in your heart, that bitterness you're carrying around in your heart. They're like murder seeds. Please don't think all I care about is whether or not you can keep yourself from killing someone. My righteousness that I expect from my followers is way higher than that. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't think that means I don't care about anything until you cross that line. I care about what you look at and what you dwell on and what you think at because I'm after your heart. That's a much higher standard of righteousness than what the scribes and Pharisees were about. These guys were about the letter of the law. Jesus cared about the spirit of the law. You know the difference? I heard this illustration once, and I tried to find the the preacher I heard it from, but I, I cannot remember. If somebody has ever heard this before, let me know and I'll give him credit. But, uh, Here's, here's the difference. This, this illustrates as well as I can the difference between following the letter of the law, this begrudging obedience or God will fry me, and the spirit of the law. There's two families, um, and, and mom and dad got up early one Sunday morning and left their teenage son a note. Each of them left the same note that their teenage sons found when they woke up that Saturday morning. And the notes each said this, son, The lawn needs mowed. Mow the lawn, bag the clippings. It needs to be done by the time we get home. Family one gets home late that afternoon. The yard looks horrendous. It's kind of been mowed, but the mower deck was way off level to where like one half of the stripe was scalped and the other side hasn't been touched. He mowed over his mom's flowers. He, uh, he could tell, like, the bag was on the mower, but it had been, like, clogged. There's these clogs of grass all over the lawn. The mower is still sitting behind it at one section of the lawn that's not even finished. It's not cut. So they go in the house, and the dad says, Son, what's up with the lawn? He goes, I mowed it. He told me to mow it. He said, It looks terrible. Son says, you didn't tell me how it was supposed to look. You just said mow it. Yeah, but son, did you bag it? It's clogged. There's clogged grass clumps all over the lawn. He said, well, the bag filled up. Well, what happens when you fill the bag, son? You take it off and you go, you didn't say I had to empty the bag. You just said mow the lawn. 
He said, Dad, I did everything you told me to do, so you can't be mad at me. Some of you are smiling because you live with that teenager. Okay, the other, the other family drives, the, the couple drives in the driveway and the lawn looks immaculate. It's been weed-eated. Uh, it's been trimmed and edged. The, the, not only are the flowers still standing, the weeds have been pulled in the flower beds. There's a brand new tree planted with some landscaping around it that looks awesome. And this family, this couple goes in and dad says, son, what's up with the lawn? Why did you do all, did you do all that? Yeah, why? So, you know, I know that's stuff you and mom have been wanting done. And I, I love you guys. And I just decided you wanted it done. And I know you only asked me to just mow the lawn, but I just wanted to do this to let you know that I, I listen when you say there's some things you want done. And I just decided what better way for me to spend my Saturday than doing this. I just wanted to do that because I love you. And that day, those two parents dropped dead of simultaneous heart attacks right inside the entryway of that home, the end. No, the point is one son saw the list of what his dad asked him to do as something that just took away from his life and what he wanted to be doing. He slopped through it as fast as he could. And the other son loved his dad and found some joy in doing something for his dad. It wasn't just begrudging, you you get off my back so I can have some fun. It was, I enjoy my relationship with you. And I think this will help. Now, I want to ask you about your obedience. I guess I want to ask, on one hand, like, how's your obedience doing? What are you struggling with? That's important. But more than that, what I'd really like for you, what I want to ask you and I want you to ask yourself is which, which, what does your obedience look like? When you think about what God, his behavioral commands on your life, do you have this list of stuff you're trying to do or not do or else God will fry you? To get this big angry God off your back so I can get my chores done and play how I want to play. Or are you pursuing Jesus Christ as, as, your, as if he is what he really is, your greatest need in the world? What happens when he becomes our pursuit? What satisfies us? is then his righteousness starts to leak out in me without being this burden. But it's a, it's a joy. It's a, there are still things that are hard and we'll do it imperfectly and we will mess up. But my relationship to him begins to work its way out in behaviors in my life. It become an offshoot of just my love for him that comes from his love for me.
Do you see the difference? And the wonderful thing is, as I mentioned before, singing time. Jesus loves you at your worst. Jesus really is not the dad in those two stories, right? Because the, the dad from the first kid came in and unloaded on, that, on his teenage son, right? And, and the dad of the second one acted like he loved his son because most of the time our love's based on performance. And his isn't. He, he died for you when you were at your worst. He's in love with you where you're at. But, he, but your obedience still matters. And his desire for you is to have a heart that's connected to his, that pursues him in a way that works its way out in joyful obedience rather than begrudging submission. How's your obedience? Does it come from your heart or only from your self-discipline and willpower? Because as we're going to see over the next six weeks, Jesus is after your heart. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, it's like we are the son who messed up the lawn and you died for us and scooped us up in your arms and loved us anyway. But you didn't die for us just to tell us that nothing matters and our obedience doesn't matter and you don't care how we live. You do. But God... You desire our obedience to flow from a heart that pursues you and gets its joy and its purpose and its hope from its Savior. God, I thank you that you set us free from the curse of the law. You fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. You've saved us from our sin. Will you teach us to walk in a kind of obedience that doesn't just depend on us whipping ourselves into shape, but just following you. And I thank you that you don't love us any less when we fail, but you desire for us to be back and connected with you. Shape us into obedient sons and daughters of a loving Father. In his name, in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.